Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And you're tuned into Querying the Air on 3CR Community Radio. My name's Iris and I'll be your host for the next hour until 4pm. I'm joining this studio with Aaron and Lee. How are you both? Hi. We're doing I'm well. Very good. Very we'll, excited to be here. Yeah. We'll be talking about um, their pod, their podcast, the Love and Luck podcast, which is a really exciting podcast to highlight here in Queering the Air. Um, but first, I'd like to give an acknowledgement of country that we're broadcasting over stolen land um, of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples here in 3CR Fitzroy, I'd like to pay my respects to your elders, past, present, and future, um, and acknowledge the indi- Indigenous sovereignty was never ceded, and resistance is ongoing. Um, and from there, one thing that's been um, happening recently is that's been on on 3CR a lot. Some different programs is um, the Jabarong Heritage Protection Embassy, which is a campaign. For sacred for defending sacred land and trees near Ararat in Western Victoria is on red alert um, for the last few weeks, expecting eviction. So you can get down to support that, or you can provide. Um, they have a GoFundMe you can check out, or you can um, talk to politicians about it. Um, another another thing that's also happening this year is the free Aboriginal women. The Free Her campaign um, that's been conducted by Sisters Inside that's freeing Aboriginal women that are incarcerated in WA because of um, unpaid fines due to racism, um, induced poverty and homelessness. So definitely a good campaign to support and amplify that one. Um, yeah, so for this program, we're going to be talking to Erin and Lee, founders of the warm-hearted queer audio drama Love and Luck. Um, so yeah, Erin Kahn and Lee Davis-Thelborn, do you want to talk a bit about yourselves first? About ourselves? Oh, okay. Um, so my background is in disability performing arts, mostly. Um, I'm part of a, a queer disability troupe called Quippings here in Melbourne. Um, and I was going through a rough time in sort of 2016 and I was like, I've always been interested in podcasts and I need something to occupy my time. I'm going to just make a podcast to learn how to podcast. Um, and that's where love and luck came from. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what to say, really. I didn't prep this part. <laughs> prep to talk about the show, not myself. <laughs> yeah, and on my end, I actually had no background whatsoever in arts at all. I mean, I did some high school theatre, but, like, it's high school theatre. That does, Doesn't everyone do that? Doesn't every queer do that? Yeah, yeah. like, you know, you, you're queer, you're in theatre. Like, yeah, but, um, but, mm. before, yeah, but before I went on to the... Um, before we started the podcast, my, sort of my main thing was that I was in a call centre. I've been call centre work for about 10 years or so. And so for a long time, I've had a lot of people saying, hey, you, you, hey, you sound nice. You should be on radio. And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Tell me when you have a position open. <laughs> and, um, and so when Erin started saying, hey, let's do a podcast, I was like, yes, do you have a role for me? Yeah, because I knew Lee was interested in voice acting. Um, so I knew that I would have at least, you know, him and myself. So I would have at least two actors. Um, and that kind of, that was where the show came from. Because mm. I was like, what can I write? What can I make that only features two characters mainly? Because mm. we didn't have funding. Uh, we still don't have funding. No, we, <laughs> we We funded ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Um, but we didn't have the money to pay anyone for the first season. So... I, you know, I was like, I don't want to ask too much of other actors if I can't afford to pay them. Um, so I was like, well, if I've got two main characters, a romance story is really like a natural fit for that. Um, and Love and Luck is told via voicemails, um, which is a little bit odd because no one uses voicemail. Um, but that basically came because I really love, so I'm big into video games and I really love environmental storytelling and that kind of found footage style of media um, and so th- that's really the only reason that it's structured like that is just because I think it's interesting. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, and it got a lot bigger than we expected. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had a look and it's like 278,000 downloads or something. I'm we, like, we, we are getting did you about- anticipate that when you started that no, in 2017? No, not, <laughs> not even, even slightly. S- my goal for Love and Luck was I want 100 people that I'm not friends with to listen to the show. That was my, like, success, like definition and we now have over twenty six thousand downloads a like, month like like yeah wow. we, we have i mean lee's the stats person for yes. me that the stat i pay attention to is the number of downloads that an episode gets within the first 24 hours we put it out because i figure mm. that's our like that's our diehard audience you know and that's about 1500 to mm. 2000 people which is wild <laughs> like no never ever ever thought it would be as successful as it have I, I, I just wanted to make something warm and happy and friendly and showcase queer Melbourne because, you know, we don't... What queer media exists is very rarely Australian and even when it is, it's it's not necessarily stuff I can connect with. And I just wanted to, like, show off my culture and mm. my friends and my community. Yeah, yeah, it turns out a lot of people wanted that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, like, not even a lot of... like I mean, we do have a fairly decent local audience but mm. 60% of our audience is in the United States of America. Yeah. Um mm. apparently that they, they really just want to listen to Australian quizzes apparently, which I am all in favor of. <laughs> yeah, uh, so often it's the other way around because um often when I look on social media and there's like recommendations for podcasts, so overwhelmingly like from the US often um mm. yeah so you've really managed to connect to that yeah and i mean one of the reasons for that is there's just not many australian fiction podcasts like if you're into fiction there's really not many yeah. australian produced things there are some now and we actually uh small plug we've started a a facebook group called australian fiction podcast makers and we have like a monthly meetup and stuff because we want to because it's not very common yet and there are a few people just getting into it we have this beautiful opportunity to try and create this industry like and and set it off on the right foot and make it accessible and make it inclusive um which you know are both like kind of important to me like I, obviously i'm queer and i'm trans and i'm disabled and a lot of the arts industry is not very friendly especially to the disabled part mm, um yeah. so yeah it's getting better um and apple oh exciting news apple yeah. podcasts just unleashed the fiction category that they've been talking about for a few weeks now mm. <laughs> um so we no longer have to just put our podcasts in performing arts category we can actually there is an actual fiction category now mm. which is very exciting and i think that's going to do a lot to help people find more shows yeah absolutely mm. yeah yeah i hope so um so just to go back a few steps um yeah, sorry. for <laughs> Listeners that haven't listened to your podcast, could you talk about what they might ex- they expect from listening? Yes. So, Love and Luck is a story of two men, Kane and Jason, uh, who just get up, set up by a friend and they start dating and they fall in love. Um, it's very important to me that we got that out of the way early. They get together in the third episode. This isn't a will they, won't they. This isn't a slow burn. Because getting together stories are a dime a dozen. And I wanted... The happily yeah. ever after story. So from there, they find that as they fall in love, they actually develop these like strange magic powers. Um, and they use those powers to support and protect and care for themselves and their community. I, you know, the, the show is very much about queer community and queer chosen family and the power that queer love can have and how beautiful it can be. Mm. Um, so if you were like a new listener, like we are not a high stress podcast. We are very warm and fluffy. Um, we're short episodes as well. Most of our episodes are like in the like eight to 15 minute, um, area closer to eight normally. Um, with the exception of some episodes coming up later this season. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a slice of life story that happens to have magic in it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> mm, yeah um yeah and picking up from your mention of queer love and i think um i was listening to when you, like sally had you on the show mm. um i mentioned about um love and and listening to the podcast as well it's not just like 
for listeners, um, it's not just like a restrictive idea of love as like like just romantic. Oh love. yeah, no, it's definitely yeah, not it's, just romantic. Do you want to talk about how you understand love and how that comes through in the podcast? Yeah. So um, as I said, the first season is pretty much just Jason and Kane. We had a couple of bit part actors to come in and flesh stuff out, but you know, again, we couldn't afford to pay anyone for season yeah. one. Season two, we kickstarted and we could actually afford to pay people. Um, which meant we got to develop these characters a lot more, which meant we got to develop the show a lot more. Because, yeah, the first season is mostly about romantic love, but it's also not because, like, I just contradict myself, but um, the you're fairly early, or like, I mean, like the first third of the season, or mm. the, I mean, like the middle of the season, Kane and Jason go, okay, if we have this power, what are we going to use it for? And they they got they open a alcohol free bar like just a place to go for queer people, and it becomes somewhere to congregate, somewhere to be together, and you know they meet new friends and new family, and it is very much not like yeah the show is about love for everyone. It's about how we love our partners, how we love our friends, how we love people that we can help, um, even how we love people who are difficult to love sometimes. Um, and into season two, that's branched out a lot more. Um, yeah, it's it's been very interesting adventure for me as the writer because I didn't necessarily plan it this way. I My goal, and this is still the case, was to make a sweet, warm story where Everyone, no one dies. Like, no one gets killed, you know? Everyone gets happily ever after in Love and Luck. And I'm very upfront about that. Um, because, unfortunately, in queer media, we often get killed off or we get really tragic stories. Mm. And I'm so tired of it. And when do we... How do we learn how to have healthy relationships and how to be happy together if we never see it? You know, it, w- it was mm. something that has sort of had a lot more of an impact on me because I often joke to people that I was a twink all the way down to the tragic backstory mm. of like looking for love in all the wrong places, sort of hitting sort of a lot of that sort of trauma points and stuff like that. It is interesting to note that I didn't have queer relationship role models when I was growing up. Like I had two gay uncles who I didn't often interact with, um, but in terms of what queer love looked like to me, I just, all you could see what was in the media and in the media is drama and conflict. Yeah. And that's something that's like, it causes problems when you get into relationships yourself. Cause you're looking at this, well, clearly relationships are supposed to be about drama and conflict and after spending um, a long time in relationship with Aaron now, like it doesn't have to be that way. And Love and Luck shows a way that that can be. Mm. And I mean, let's be real, even straight people in, in media don't mm. necessarily have healthy relationships. No, that's, no, that's you know? true, yeah. Like, I just, um, yeah, it's, it's, and I mean, yeah, like we talk about healthy relationships and often we are talking about the romance aspect of it because the primary relationship in the show is romantic. But, you know, it's about, well, even if we can't do a lot, how do we help each other? How are we kind to each other? We have characters assume the best in each other at all times, because I think that's one of the best ways to have healthy and happy relationships is to just assume the best of each other and start from there. Um, yeah, it's it's very important to me. <laughs> yeah, um, and like many moments in the show that I've listened to, like, have moments where um, you hear characters having to, like, take care of other characters through, like, a difficult circumstance. So it's, like, an example of, like, love and care between characters mm. when in difficult situations. Yeah. I um, One of the things, like, the show is a very warm and happy and fuzzy show, but, you know, I didn't... I couldn't avoid talking about some of the hard stuff about being queer and to, to, to paper over that existence wouldn't be right. And I was a bit worried about how the audience would take that, but uh, we've been very fortunate and our listeners have basically responded with, Oh, this is good because even though this hurts, now I get to see these characters heal and I get to see them cope with it. Mm. And yeah, like it's uh, like a lot of, like some bad stuff does happen in the show, but no one is ever, like it's not the end, you know. It's it's everyone still gets the happy ending, and 
looks after each other and is considerate of each other. Yeah. Just because life is hard doesn't mean life can't end happily. Yeah. Like, we, we can work towards a good ending for us. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So going back to growing up and not having role models, um, were there any, like, things you con- connected to, I don't know, would it in some in moments in books or some media that like or queer reading readings you had of books growing up or like other media tv this is the most australian thing ever um but i was very into priscilla queen of the desert as a kid that was that was my queer awakening was that movie um which i did not understand because i'm trans and i thought i was a girl at the time and could not understand it um but and i actually like it's kind of interesting because looking at that, there is probably a little bit of influence there because that was a show about friends looking out for each other and trying to get along even when they had conflict, you know, mm. Lee? Yeah, because as I said, like I've had, I've had queer family in my life. Mm. So um, I, had, I had my uncle Michael who was Australia's most respected parapsychologist until he died a few years back. And <laughs> a, I have a parapsychologist. Pa- yep. Parapsychologist, um p- person who studies mental powers and such like that. Oh, um, makes sense now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yep. Um and I also had my uncle Brian, who is quite active in the Adelaide gay scene as mm. well. And he has kind of been a role model in a lot of cases and sort of how I try to um sort of influence the communities that I'm in. But in terms of relationships, well, I got to see some of his partners, but I w- it was never sort of discussed to me exactly what that meant during my childhood. Mm. It wasn't until I became a teenager and I started having these feelings and talking to my parents about this that that started to actually make sense for me in that end. Um, in terms of sort of fictional kind of stuff like that, I mean, again, I, I loved Priscilla as a kid, didn't really get it until I was much older afterwards in terms of sort of stuff i read my reading was amazingly straight when i was a when Mm. i was a kid because i was i lived in adelaide i was at a library and this is like during the 90s like i was a child during the mid 90s when queer fiction wasn't really a thing that got into libraries very often i remember looking at any time i heard anything any any kind of queer Mm. content um, that I could access as a kid or a teen, I would get it no matter how horrible it was. And some of it was horrible. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, and that's, again, that's kind of why I made the show because everything I saw was such a tragedy. And I mean, there's, there's a historical context for that with the Hayes Code and all of that, mm. but like, it doesn't change the effect it had on me. Yeah. Or I think that it has on a lot of queer people where we just never see happy stories, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, and if you've just tuned in, you're tuned into Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on your AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au, on digital radio and later on demand and podcasted. Um, if you could go back to when you created the podcast, what would you tell yourself in terms of what you've learnt to help you? <laughs> Um, I probably wouldn't say a damn thing. <laughs> I'd just be like, have fun. This is going to be a wild ride. <laughs> um, yeah, I I would probably tell myself to chill out a little bit more. Um, season two took a lot more effort uh, than season one did because we had to juggle a lot more things. And it was a longer season. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of enjoy the ride, so I probably wouldn't tell myself much. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is kind of a sort of relevant question for me because we're currently working on a new podcast project mm. um, um, called Supernatural Sexuality with Dr. Seabrook, which is kind of a monster relationship advice show in fiction. Um, and one of the things that I'm starting to realize is that you're going to be doing a lot of stuff which will seem tedious and will seem difficult to do. And you can't just stop every time things get tedious. You have to push through it. Like things like, like just on the very basic thing, like just editing audio is incredible. Like it, it yeah. takes a lot. Like it, it's I, also super frustrating because you yeah. can't listen to music while you oh, do it. Like you can't oh, multitask. No. <laughs> oh, it, it, yeah, it is. And it, like, you can't watch TV. I can't like put a podcast on. Like I can do something. No, it takes your full attention. And 
one thing I've discovered, my attention is not great. <laughs> it's not great. Um, so that's something that I would probably want to remind myself to me of two months ago when I started editing is that you just have to sit down and do it. You can't just like, it's not going to get done by itself. It just has to get done. Projects get finished on busy work. They yeah. don't get finished on big inspirational creative moments. Mm. Like projects get done with busy work. Yep. Yeah. So following on from that, what advice would you give for people looking to create similar projects to what you've undertaken? Oh my goodness. I have so much. <laughs> like, I could, <laughs> like, we could do an entire show just about that. And we did. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, honestly, I think the, the main piece of advice I would give is to plan the production. Don't just plan the story or anything like that. Plan the production. How are you going to record it? How are you going to like edit it? What are you going to have to pay for? Like, again, busy work, right? It's very boring, but make a budget, make a production plan. Um, I think that that's the most important thing you can do to help you get through to the end because the, the excitement isn't going to carry you all the way through. You've got a plan for when you don't want to do it. Mm. And, and this is something that kind of has to come in even when you're writing the project as well because a lot of people, like, you know, think, all right, well, I'll write the project. Now I have the project. Now what do I do with it? And often that's the worst time to start looking at this sort of pre-planning stuff. Because if you've built like an audio drama with like a cast of 300. And then you have to cast 300 people. Then you have to cast 300 people. <laughs> and that, and I can tell you, that's very hard. Yeah, we've, uh, we went for, so we went from having, you know, two main actors with a, a handful. Mm -hmm. And then our new show, we have 38 actors. Mm -hmm. It's been an adventure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely just plan and don't be afraid to make something bad. Because I think people get very caught up in perfectionism and they want to make something that's going to be perfect and wonderful and powerful. And first of all, people love trash. I love trash. <laughs> like, make bad art. Bad art has just as much of a right to exist as good art does. And secondly, just because you think it's bad doesn't mean other people are going to think it's bad. One of my least favorite episodes from season one is the favorite episode of one of my friends. Like, mm. you can't know what's going to be good. You've just got to do your best. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm here um, on Queering the Air talking to Erin and Lee, and who are the co-creators of Love and Lock podcast, and my name's Iris, and you're tuned into 3CR Community Radio, Queering the Air. Um, yeah, just thinking some more about season two, how much bigger was it than season one, and what are, key oh. what, what are some more of the key challenges you faced in, like... So the, fun, you got you the big one was funding, funding self-funded yeah. it. Um, the first, so the first season we just paid for all out of pocket. Um, I think it cost us about twelve hundred. About twelve hundred, and that was all volunteer labor. Um, second season we wanted to pay people, you know, so we did a Kickstarter for five thousand dollars, which we successfully did. Um, that was exhausting. Mm. <laughs> Kickstarters are a lot of work. Um, and even aside from the work, they're just stressful because mm. until it hits that goal, you don't know if you're going to make it. Yeah. Um, and, of, and often Kickstarters do go down to the wire. So it's it's the very rare Kickstarter that will get funded within its first couple of days. Yeah. Usually what happens is that, you know, you're sort of looking at where the money is going. It's like, oh, like, you know, the, it's all on the right trajectory. Yeah. I'm not sure. It's like, and when you get to last week, it gets super stressful because like, oh my God, I have a week to go and we still have like a third of the way to go. Yeah. It so, can be very stressful. I mean, we, we pretty much agreed not to do Kickstarters again. It was no. so hard. Um, we've moved to the Patreon model um, of listener support now, which has been really, really good. Um, much more manageable for us, much more sustainable. Um, and plus it means we get to like, you know, just drop interesting little tidbits from behind the scenes to our backers instead of like having to do a big production. Mm. Um, definitely like the second season was much longer. So the script for season one was I think 48,000 words and the script for season two was like 62,000 words. Um, and once I finished editing it all together, it took a lot longer. Editing it all together took a lot longer. And I finished it and we found re we realized that season one, all up, was about six and a half hours worth of content. Season two is 11 hours. So it was almost double the amount of work. Um, mm. Having said that, I'm very proud of it. Like, I really like season two. Um, it was good. It was, um, there was a lot of, like... I mean, a lot of the challenges, I really like challenges. I love <laughs> failing. Like, I love learning by failing. So, like, I just like to dive into stuff. Um, 
you know, all the stuff like working with new actors, like we actually mostly use, it's very rare that our actors have acting experience. Um, mm -hmm. We often use with people with no acting experience. And I love that. Um, casting was a bit of a challenge. Yes. Uh, because we had some roles that were only for people of color. Um, and we really struggled to find actors. One of the things that we found when we were sort of casting for this is that saying that you're open to people of color is great, but if you're two white people with a production which is already all white, yeah. it becomes very hard to try and sort of build that trust for people to say, hey, we, we do want you here, and you know we want you here for good reasons. Yeah, because that was a big mistake we made. We, mm. we sort of, we finished season one, and we looked at it, and we went, oh my God, our whole team is white. Yeah. How do we screw up that bad? Mm. So it was really, we put a lot of effort into trying to fix that in season two. Um, and, like, we did find people eventually, but it was really hard and we did have to put a lot of effort in. Um, I mean, casting is always kind of hard when you're mm. casting for local things. Yeah. Because you need people who are going to be available at certain on certain days or at certain mm. times. Um, and we cast um, authentically, which means that we cast trans women as trans women characters. We cast people of colour as people of colour characters. Like, that's really important to me. Um, and, you know, we work with, like, disabled actors as well because, like, accessibility is really b important to me. I put a lot of effort into making the podcast accessible both for listeners and for the team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and it's also just really scary whenever you're casting because you're inviting a new person into your, like, project mm. and it's always scary to, like, take that, like, leap of faith mm. on someone new. Um, so, yeah, casting was, was rough. Yeah. Um, at least rough in the fun way, unlike funding, which was rough in the unfun <laughs> way. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't yeah. know. It was just a lot more. Yeah, I I found one one of the challenges that I found was sort of getting to the end because like we had we have what we call a yearly production cycle. So yes. we don't, we don't we build the entire season first and then release it week by week. We don't sort of go week to week and record every week and stuff like that, because we just couldn't do I it. I would die. We, yeah. we just couldn't do it. <laughs> um, but what it did mean was that we sort of got to the end of our allotted time for season two, and we're just looking going, why is this taking so long? What is going on? And there was, I think there was quite a lot of burnout from the both of us I was by a little the bit end burnt of it. Out, yeah. And yeah. I, honestly, a lot of it did lift when I compared the amount of time yeah. between season one and season two and how long content was. I was like, oh, that's why. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In many ways, it's quite impressive. We managed to fit almost <laughs> twice as much content into all, like only a few extra months worth of time. Yeah, it was like it was like tw like fourteen months, I think. Yeah, yeah. Mm, so yeah, big 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 personal commitment to the project. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, what is yeah expanding on some of the key considerations in your podcast? You spoke a bit about access. Could you expand? I would love to. You've just asked me my pet topic. <laughs> um, so. Um, again, my background is in disability arts, so uh, accessibility was built into our workflow. Um, all of our shows, it's very, it's starting to become common for people to have transcripts available for their podcasts. That didn't even occur to me when we started. I automatically thought captions. And so all of our mm. shows are captioned. We release all our shows captioned on YouTube. Um, as far as I know, we're pretty much the only podcast that does. Um, and I, that's fine. I think there's one other. And that's fine. Like, yeah. I think transcripts are a perfectly acceptable um, substitute. But I personally find reading a transcript very dull and mm. I would rather read captions. So we, ha and we hand caption all our shows. We don't let YouTube do it for us with mm. its garbage algorithm. Um, I mix for accessibility. So I make sure that all of the acting is delivered with a relatively slow pace, much slower than natural speech. Um, all of the sound effects and the music and the voices are all uh, normalized to a point where the voices are very clear, any sound effects are relatively quiet. Um, we put up like uh, content warnings on any episodes that have like serious content um, or might be triggering. Um, our website has is high contrast and clear with large text and works with screen readers. Um, I don't, I don't know how well it works with screen readers. I did do a test and it did kind of pass. Um, and that's rough because we're not web developers so yeah. and it's and it's just a general thing it's like why would you make a podcast and that's not inaccessible be, not to visually impaired people. Yeah, yeah seriously um 
So yeah, I, I think about it all the time. Like I, I really do. And like the studio we use is wheelchair accessible, um, which is especially good because I've now started <laughs> using a wheelchair um, and I'm going to be using it a lot more in future. Um, and like half of our team is disabled. You know, we had one actor who we had to print a separate script for with larger text. Mm. We had another actor with dyslexia who we had to break up her script. So instead of it being like a paragraph, it would be like sentence by sentence. Um like, it, it's interesting because it's only when someone asks me about stuff like this, I realize how many, like, access access stuff, things we do, mm. um, because it's just kind of natural to me from being disabled and working with disabled people. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm currently, I'm trying to work on a series of articles and podcasts and videos to help podcasters make their podcasts more accessible because I think it's something that's not thought about a lot um, by podcasters. And I think that that's a shame because, you know, disabled people are about 20% of the population. Why would you want to lock 20% of the population out of your show, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I put a lot of effort into that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I think about it all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so like, and like the thing about sort of doing things like captions and stuff like that, if you put it into your workflow, it's like it doesn't take, like it takes a little bit of extra time, sure, but you can make it part of what you do. Yes. Yeah. Like it, I'm, a lot of the like discussions about around accessibility in podcasting, people go, well, that's hard. And I'm like, well, yeah, but so is making a podcast. Like mm. if you are allocating time and resources to record and edit, you can allocate time and resources to transcripts or mm. captions or finding the right venue, you know, to record in. Like, yeah. yeah, it's so like it is more work to make a more accessible podcast, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. No. It, you know, that's like saying it takes more work to record well. It's like, yes, that yes. you should still try and do that, you know? Yeah. Um, things are starting to get better. Um, yeah. We are starting to see more like transcripts are becoming much more expected in new for, from new podcasts, which is really good. Hmm. Um, yeah. Things are, things are getting better slowly. Yeah. I will drag this industry kicking and screaming <laughs> into accessibility if I have to. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So important. Um, you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio. I'm Iris and I'm here in the studio with Aaron and Lee, co-creators of the Love and Luck, Luck podcast. We'll be back after um, after a song. I'm going to play Shade Away by Electric Fields. Oh, Jilly. You got my feet to dance and oh, Jilly. You raise up the day. Oh, Jilly. You got my feet to dance and oh, Jilly. You just throw the shade away.
that was Throw the Shade Away by Electric Fields. You're tuned into Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio. I'm Iris, and I'm here in the studio with the co-creators of the Love and Lock podcast, Erin and Lee. Um, So, I was thinking next to asking you about what's the future for Love and Lock? So, there will be a season three. Um, We've technically started on that at the moment. Um, I've... I just need to f- I need to finish doing the outline before I can start writing the script. Um, so there will be season three. Season three will be the last one. Um, I've, I've I had a realization of how I want the show to end, and so that we're gonna go there, um, which I'm actually really happy about because I think that you know I would I, I want the show to end. Do you know what I mean? I don't mm. want it to fizzle out or or get boring or or me to hate it because I don't like working on it anymore. So, yeah, I'm actually, I'm very excited to make season three and make it really good and end on a high note. Because, mm. mm. like, in commercial, um, commercial world, there's so many shows that drag on and on beyond what they're intended to, and they just mm. become diluted and not very good. Yeah, I mean, and I worried, I mean, I worry about that even with season three, because mm. I, I'm very proud of season two, and I'm <laughs> like, oh, no, what if season three is bad? Um but, like, I mean, even if it is bad, it'll be the last one, so that'll be fine. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to dribble on forever, and I don't want to resent the show because I don't want to write it anymore, you know? Um, I want I want it to end, and I want it to end well. So, yeah, that's, that's going to be where it goes. And I already have my next project planned for after that. <laughs> and, and as we mentioned previously, like, I have my own project that I'm working on now, um, which is Supernatural Sexuality with Dr. Seabrook, um, which is going to be a, another fictional podcast, which will sound a lot like a radio show by the time it's done on that end. Um, and I've part of the fun of being part of Love and Luck and having the audience that we've had is that it means that I can start auditioning for other people's shows because there are shows everywhere in America, in the UK, and plenty of them are happy to accept remote actors. So you don't actually be there in the studio mm-hmm. as long as you have a setup at home. And that's been fantastic because it means we've got to jump into other people's shows and have plenty of fun there as well. And being on another person's show is great because you can just do all the voice acting and you don't have to do any of the any editing. Any of the actual work. I know. <laughs> it's so good. I love it. I yeah. love it. <laughs> yeah, it must be such a good thing to be involved in after like doing so much of the back-end work that takes countless hours. So yeah. by far... My most hated thing that I hate doing in the sh- in production is I hate choosing which take to use on a set of lines. So we usually do two to three takes depending on the mm. actor and the and the and the role and all that. Um, and it takes so long because you have to listen to all the takes, pick the one you like the most, then listen to them again to make sure you're sure that that's the right one. And it takes so long. Um, and the great thing about voice acting for other people is you just record your own takes and then you send it off and then it's their problem and I don't have to think about it anymore. Um, yeah, uh, I, I take selections the worst. It is, it is the worst. <laughs> it's especially bad because like the better actors you have, the better the takes that takes become. And often there'll be takes in completely different directions, but all of them are really good and just like, why do I have to choose this? Why yeah. can't I just put all of these in? Yeah, my favourite is when someone does a bad job on one take because then I don't have to think about not mm. using it. Like, and that's pretty rare, unfortunately. Yeah. All our actors are really good. Mm. Um, so, mm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, as like after Love and Luck, we've got so many more. Like, we're, we're, we're in podcasts for the long haul at this point. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we released a, a second one, a limited, uh, series called Nims Nebulous Notions earlier this year, which is a science fiction podcast, um, about an abandoned ship in the dead of space and what you might find there. Um, and Seabrook is our next release, uh, yep. which we'll probably be releasing in October. Yeah. Um, and yeah, even when Love and Look is finished, as I said, I already know my next, uh, thing is going to be I want to make an all trans production like Love and Luck we have a huge number of trans people involved but I want to make something that's all trans people I'm really excited about doing that mm. yeah mm. yeah exciting um love to hear some more about the things you've got for the future it's more about 
Um, I think I've lost the proper supernatural. Yeah. Yep. So supernatural. So I'm just going to call it Seabrook because that's what we've been calling it. Or supernatural sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. Supernatural sexuality. Um, So it's basically a show that I based very, very much on a show, radio show I loved as a child called Pillow Talk with Dr. Feelgood. Um, Probably a lot of people may remember that if they're about my age. Um, And it was basically a show where a doctor would answer people's questions about sex and relationships. And I sort of looked at that question. I really liked that show and I liked what it did for me because that basically helped me with my sort of sexual um, mm. sexual education because it was on late at night on Sundays when my parents were asleep and I was in my room. It was great. Um, so I sort of took that concept and said, what if there was a world where monsters existed alongside people? Mm. Because all of a sudden that changes the equation a lot because you've got very, very different people with very different biologies, different cultures and it just it changes it it changes the way this kind of advice has to work because all of a sudden you not only have to think about sort of what people's anatomy does, what monster anatomy does, and what monster relationships do. And so the show is basically just an announcer taking questions from people about um, their relationships with either humans or monsters, depending on who they are. And we come up, we try to figure out ways forward for those relationships. We don't, this whole... The ethos of, like, happy endings and, like, you know, warmth and consideration is still very much a part of it, yeah. Absolutely. We, I, the one thing I specifically said for our writers, because it's about... 15, we have 17 writers, writers in total. We, <laughs> we really leveled up in production. 17. We went from Yeah, we went from like one writer and a handful of actors in one thing. I mean, yeah. we now have like 19 people that yes. work on Love and Luck in total as well, but I'm not the only only writer. Yeah. But then Supernatural Sexuality has 17 writers, 38 yeah. actors. Yeah. It's so many people. <laughs> and and like one of the, and one of the reasons we did it for Seabrook is specifically because we wanted to get as many people as possible into the idea of writing for audio. Uh, for audio, mm. and especially Australian writers. Yes, you know. Absolutely. So we have, we have a lot of we have a couple of international writers. Yeah. but we told people when they were applying, we're going to be prioritizing Australian mm. writers. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's been really it's been really great because for one thing, coming up with all because what we did was we basically took individual calls and ask people to give us pictures for these calls. So each call is written by yeah. a different person. So it meant we got to break the script up. No one had to write other people's characters, really. Yeah. Everyone just wrote a call or however many calls yeah. they could manage. Some people only did one. Some people did, like, five. Mm. Yeah. And the only thing we really had to do while we were sort of going through the drafts is just make sure that our Dr. Seabrook's voice was mainly consistent throughout mm. the whole thing. And also make sure that when people came up with solutions to these calls that these solutions were actually sort of within the ethos of, are we finding a way forward which helps both people? And also in ways that were interesting, like we had some people come up with ideas that were a good was a good pitch and we had to go through the solution with them a lot because, mm. um, like, I'm trying to think of an example that we don't use so that it don't, yeah. I'm not, like, um, picking on anyone, but, like, yeah. sometimes people would be like, oh, and then this is the solution, but the solution would be very human-centric. And mm. it's like, but if this is a world where these monstrous creatures are equal to us, you know, and we're talking everything. We're talking vampires, we're talking werewolves, we're talking everything. Yeah. Um, our only rule with our writers was to not write a creature from a culture they don't belong to. Mm. Um, that was pretty much it. Other than that, fair game. Yeah. Um, you know, so I didn't want all of the solutions to be what's good for the human, but might not be good for the monster. Mm. Um, so we sometimes had to adjust outcomes based on that. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, it's been really good. Our uh, Dr. Seabrook, the yes. uh, Stark um, character, is played by Mama Boher, who is an amazing queer actress of colour, um, comedian, uh, here in Melbourne, and uh, she tours all over Australia. Mama Boher? Mama Boher. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, she she was absolutely amazing, which was great, because this was my first time directing. Um, and so yes, it was very good because you were very nervous. I, I was uh, terrified, just terrified. But she's a professional, yeah. so... She walked you through yeah, it. Yeah. And, and, she, and she was not only a professional, but she's also done radio before, which was one of the reasons we chose her, because yeah. we wanted someone who had that idea of what radio sounded like. Mm. Um, and it turned out she was also a big fan of Pillow Talk with Dr. Phil. Oh. So, she, so yeah. she understood exactly where I was going for with the show. So that was great. 
Yeah. And we have a great cast, like, from all over the world. Oh, yeah. Um, we, we, again, we wanted to play with remote, we wanted to learn about remote acting and directing remote actors. So mm. we have people here in Australia, we have people in the Philippines mm. and America and the UK and everywhere. Mm. It's Absolutely. really good. Yeah. Mm. And if you just tuned in, you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio, streaming live at 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. 8.55 a.m. on your a.m. dial, digital radio, and on demand, and podcast it. And I'm Iris. Um, so, I was thinking about asking you some more about other things you're involved in. I know you've done spoken word. I've seen you, like, don't do spoken word before. Is that something you're still going to be doing in the future? Yes, very much. Um, I, my next show will be September 7th um, for equipping. <laughs> this is Aaron. Um, yeah. Yes, this is Aaron speaking. Um, yes, I, I'm still very much like I don't get to do it a lot of it mostly because schedule and energy performing art like live performing arts takes a lot more work than producing mm. a podcast does in terms of my energy and my, my health so I usually only do that a c- couple of times a year um, usually around like midsummer or, or, or fringe festival um, or writers festivals um, but yeah that's still very much something I do and that I enjoy a lot um, yeah, I don't know. I'm branching out a lot. I'm starting to really get interested in sound design. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. I like exploring. I like yeah. doing stuff. And, and I've been kind of glad that Aaron's been branching out because I can sort of, you know, run along with him and sort of do the stuff he does. Because the fact is I have a full-time job. I work as mm. a analyst at a bank. So Which is why he loves stats. Which is why so I love stats. So I love stats and spreadsheets. <laughs> believe me, it, 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 it's brilliant for me. Um, but it also means that I don't get a lot of time to focus on creative work. So it's wonderful when Aaron sort of has an idea and says, hey, let's do this. I'm like, hey, that's fantastic. I get to like have my creative feel by sort of supporting Aaron to get the stuff he wants done. Mm. Mm. Right on my creative coattails. And proud of it. <laughs> um, can I ask about your involvement in a leather community here? Um, we're taking a bit of a break from the leather okay. community at the moment. Yeah, taking yeah. a break. Um, we've, we're too busy um and yeah, yeah. we the, th- the thing about making like you know three podcasts in a year that mm. it it takes a lot of time <laughs> yes <laughs> um so, so much time. yeah so while so while we were active in the leather scene sort of about for many year, years for many years yeah. um at this point like we we may get back into it at oh, some oh we almost point. definitely we will were, like that that's, that's not something that goes away <laughs> yeah but it's certainly something that sort of gone on the back burner at this moment for a while because yeah we just there's just not lots of time yeah yeah Mm. it just yeah Yeah. it's amazing how much you've like done with this podcast with all the other projects Mm. um you've talked about yeah so much um work involved in everything and so many things um you've considered in involving in considered in doing all those things um so we're getting towards the end of um, our show today, Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio. Um, so we're going to be turning to some things, some upcoming things and some things to shout out to. Do you have anything, anything to shout out to uh, that's upcoming? Uh, like plugging our own stuff? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you want to find out about any of our shows, um, you can go to PassivalPez.com, which is our production website. That's P-A-S-S-E-R-V-U-L-P-E-S.com. Um, there you can find info to all of our podcasts. Um, if you want to know more about me, you can go to erinkyan.com, E-R-I-N-K-Y-A-N.com, uh, which is in bad need of an update mm-hmm. but it, uh, in terms of its looks, but it is still all um, accurate. Yes. Um, yeah, that's that's where you can find our stuff, yep. Love and Luck. You can find loveandluckpodcast.com, uh, Supernatural Sexuality. Yep. Its website exists. There's not much there yep. yet. But it is supersexradio.com. Yep. Um yeah. And um, if you want to know about Nim's Notions, that's um, nimsnotions.com. Yep. Um, so that's N-Y-M-S-N-O-T-I-O-N-S.com. Yeah. But links to all of those, like if you want to just check everything out, passivalpez.com, that's the place to go. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, I have a number of events I'm going to speak to. The first is Undercurrent Victoria, which is a group that does work on combating myths about violence, intimate relationships, and lots of transformative justice stuff. They're putting on a um, 
Healing Through Art Workshop series on this Sunday, August 11th at IRL Info Shop, 28D Ashley Street, West Footscray. They are having a um, a massage, a sort of like a drop, a massage clinic. You have to register. Um, that's part of their like healing for survivors sort of series. Check that out if you're interested. Another thing that is coming, and that's yeah, coming up very soon. Another thing that's coming up is Vixen Collective fundraiser. There, I'm the local peer on sex worker collective here in Victoria. On there's a fundraiser for Vixen Collective on August 15 at Cafe Gummo Bar from 7 p.m. to 1 a.m. And that you can, I'll put the links to this in the podcast as well. Um, and there's two protests I'm going to mention coming up on Wednesday, on this Wednesday, August the 7th. There's the SAC Paris Six Years Manus and Nauru protest hosted by the Anti Colonial Asian Alliance, Cool Nations Melbourne. And that's about um, this public figure, Paris Aristotle, who was involved in the No Advantage policy enacted by the Gillard government, who now runs Foundation House and is calling for him to be sacked for his hypocrisy and like reopening the internment camps on Manus and Nauru. Um, and another thing that's happening this week, unfortunately, there's a trans exclusionary radical feminist event at Melbourne Uni mm. on Thursday. And there is a peti- petition going around. Um, that I've shared on the Queenia Facebook page, and there's also a protest on Thursday at six thirty at the at the University of Melbourne, where this event is, and it's just mobilising trans misogyny and panic around this really mild birth certificate reform that we just want over with. Um, yeah, so that's the things I've had and. You've been you've been listening to Queering the Air on Three CR Community Radio. It's been really good to have you both in the studio. Yes, thank you for having yes, us. Yes, wonderful. Yeah, um, and you continue to Queering the Air next week. You've been listening to a Three CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station Three CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.